Are we doing building the wrong thing? Is that what we're talking sure. about? Build, build, or the positive version, building the right thing. Let's talk about building the right things. I mean, this is better. Those are two different things. Let's build some wrong things. Right. Wait, wrong are we building the wrong, wrong things right? I, I've done that. <laughs> building the wrong things right? I've oh, done yeah. that too. You, the market you, just moved on. By the time we figured out what we were building. Uh, like the, the, the segue for this. Hey, Ted, welcome to the Agile Podcast. Oh, Thank you. Arguing Agile. Be anything. I forgot what the name of you have podcast no idea was. what the name Ar- of your own podcast is. No Arcane yeah, That's yeah. what it is. I've been doing too many episodes. <laughs> I've been in organizations where they say, listen, just build what I'm asking you to build. And then if you build it, customers build right? it and they will come. And build. that always works, right? No, actually, it almost never works. I've been in a lot of organizations where you're product led, meaning we try something and we pivot based on the results versus sales led meaning the customer tells me if i produce x widget and y widget they will sign a deal for z number of dollars that's like a promised prosperity i will buy yeah. it just just go ahead and build it I, I mean if we agree to build x functionality you will sign on for y number of dollars here's a contract mr customer there'll be people out there listening to this saying like what are you talking about? That's reality. Yeah, but 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 that that all that ignores well, we've built X functionality. You pay us some money, and still no one's using the functionality. But if you, if you built your entire business on that model of I want you to build X, and as long as you build X, no matter whether somebody uses it or not, I'm going to give you money for that. That's a different business model than what we hope we're driving toward, which is give us a small improvement every so often. Maybe that's two weeks, maybe it's a month, maybe it's longer than that, but it's a small change. Hopefully it's improvement, it's a small change. And we give it to you and we see how you like it. Mm-hmm. And then we as a business say, oh, they seem to like that thing. Give them more of that or, or improve it a little bit. Give them a little something different as opposed to, like I needed, like you said, build me this big thing and that's where i think the we built the wrong thing problem comes in because if you're doing it incrementally you've never built the wrong thing you've just built a tiny thing that people didn't like Mm -hmm. and that's fine yeah i'd say i'd probably reframe that and say instead of you built this tiny thing that people didn't like it's they got an early look and they basically nudged you in the right direction of what they're really looking for right so whenever you release something to them it isn't foreign to them like okay oh wow that's great except we don't use it that way we don't want that 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 element of surprise can be avoided by incorporating your customers through your journey and companies that are building the right thing often you'll find will have the customer with them right right throughout the journey so vet the ideas and not just at the beginning and then some interim points at frequent checkpoints within the process is we said last time this is what we kind of discussed is this am i on the right right track here if not be prepared to pivot and pivot quickly yeah and that's what you mentioned is having the customer there Mm -hmm. at, at key points it's not just have the management or just have a stakeholder or just have somebody who's signing off on a thing yeah, to be in the room or to sign off on the thing. It's having the person who's going to be using this thing have representatives 
of people who are going to use this thing there every step of the way to say, yes, this thing works for us. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. So proxy customers is a fallacy. You assume that somebody within your organization knows what the customer wants because that's an assumption they made and they mm -hmm. said, well, I know what they want. They want this. Yep. We always do this on the podcast. So there are very, very few exceptions to that. There are some visionaries that think through the problems and say, what the market's missing is X. And I go back to that one I always go back to, which is, Steve Jobs came up with the iPod. Yeah. He didn't ask people. He saw that people were lugging this thing around. There was a cassette player, yeah. and it was quite big, and you strapped it to the side of your belt, yeah. right? The Sony Walkman. But when the Walkman came out, it was a big deal because, well, you've taken this portable cassette player, portable, luggable, really, and shrugged the form factor. Mm -hmm. He basically answered the need of, you can only take so many cassettes with you. With the iPod, you can have hours of music, and it's with you all the time, Yeah, right? And you can put podcasts on them. You can do that. Maybe even this podcast. Oh, oh. no. And like, we've used that example a couple times. We now. have. And I have to think, and I have to wonder if, like, Steve Jobs in that example, if he's not too high level for the feedback we're talking about. Like, the feedback I'm talking about is like, hey, I want to have my entire music library. Maybe he was the guy in the room being like, Hey, I got this giant wall of records. This is Steve Jobs, so he probably had a giant wall of records. I got this giant wall of records. I want to have those in my pocket. And that wasn't the level, the, 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 the strategic level he was at. And then somebody had to take that and break that down into smaller, well, what is that? I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean one song, two songs, a dozen songs? Like maybe we start with 10 songs, and then we'll figure out how to manage a catalog of a thousand yeah a thousand albums a thousand a thousand, right. a thousand, a thousand ten songs or a thousand yeah. fifteen songs or whatever whatever an album was in the 70s or whatever steve jobs was how old do you think we are <laughs> don't answer My that goodness. please those breakthroughs are really rare when you think about any product really it isn't that somebody just said okay let's produce something and and oh that's gonna be a huge hit yeah when you really look at where that came from what you're gonna find is They've done their homework. They've figured out a real pain point that they're trying to address. Now, the only thing is, it may not be across the spectrum of the customer base. It may be a given subset of that. And that's nothing wrong with that, right? That actually is an agile way of working because if it works with that subset, there's a chance it might work with us. It may not, but there's a chance that it, at least you'll be successful marketing and selling to that subset. Yeah. So it's not random when these things happen. People might think it is, but it's not. I don't even know where I was going with that. I'm on board with where you're going. What I think of like product owner specific, like one specific team not scaling with the leadership level. Here's my vision. In the Amazon book where they introduced work, working backwards, basically, I can't remember the name of the book. They talk about the, the, in Amazon, they would come up with the, like this, this is the end state, right? And one of the, one of the original end states for them is users hate that the shipping time they, they 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 don't like the shipping time so if you're going to give someone free shipping and take all that out of the equation and be like hey it's going to be to you within two days and you don't have to pay for it they, like that was a revolutionary breakthrough for them and catapulted their service to the next level that's probably like the worst example i'm going to give because it's a difficult it's a service it's not really a product right but it's sort of both 
It's sort of both. It's like you need the service yeah. and the product. So together. delivery is a product, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right? You, yeah. So. But but you need the service and the product together. Yeah. To absolutely. do that, the product is when somebody buys something, you have to make sure that it's it's in a warehouse available within the service distance, and you have to make sure that the service team has capability to deliver it, has capacity. I guess would be the word. So there there's more involved in that. So that's why I say it's like it's a it's a complicated example. I don't well, know if it's a great example. Well, but it's a hundred small things. It, it, yeah, that, it is. You know, and which ties back to the small incremental change, right? right? It's if, like you just said, you have to figure out is this thing available. So yeah. let's make sure that we absolutely nail down and optimize figuring out if that thing, where that thing is available. Is it in this warehouse? Is it over here? Yeah. How do we get there? And they have the robots that now go in and grab the individual item. But every single step of that along the way is an opportunity for the product owner, for the team to be able to tweak that just a little bit and say, how can we get that a little bit better? Mm-hmm. How can we get that, you know, to get us closer from two week shipping to two-day shipping, to same-day shipping. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and there are opportunities every single step of the way. It's yeah. not, it's not a big bang launch of. They, he didn't say probably. My guess is he didn't say in a year, six months, we're going to have two-day shipping and it's going to be free. He probably said something along the lines of, "This is a problem. Figure it out. Yeah, right. Get us to that place. Right. Yeah." The working backwards model, I'll find the book that this came out of, came out and Amazon dealt with discovering and implementing it this way. I'm finding it, I swear. No, no, the book is called Working Backwards. Working Backwards by Colin Breyer and Bill Carr. That's, That's the book. Because Amazon's model is they will, when they want something done, they'll choose a single threaded leader to go lead the initiative and they'll give them the budget and they'll give they'll delegate the task to them and then it'll be up to that single thread of leader to go implement it. So like in, in my in my brain, that's the product manager. Hey, I, I want to figure out their their whole thing was rolled into like customer loyalty and so like they they knew shipping was kind of the key to right. customer loyalty. It was the, the Amazon Prime that everyone uses now for for shipping was mm-hmm. the original way they implemented it. They handed it off to to one person and had them build basically the whole program around it. Pro- program. Well, customer I hate, experience. I hate, to, I hate to use terminology. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah nonsense. Yeah. But they built the whole program around it, but, but they handed it off to somebody, and then that, that somebody engaged in experiments over time to figure out how we're going to do it, how it's going to make its money, and stuff like that. And then, There's a bunch of other stuff in that book that I can go into, but this is I'm trying not to turn this into the podcast of the working backwards model. <laughs> Are there any other examples that we can think of like that in the industry? I mean, like under the category of getting feedback, I mean, I can think of a bunch of negative examples. I could argue sure. against it. Like the yeah. arguing, the arguing against it is like you might be working, like you might be like, oh, Brian, Amazon's are ridiculous. Like not everyone works at Amazon and all these Silicon Valley, Facebook, Meta, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Fang companies, like that's not what the majority of people work at. The majority of people have to take this evidence-based approach to building the right thing or build, even building the thing right, even if we're going to go into that category. And you have to uh, adopt that to your current culture. So sometimes management will come down and be like, listen, 
you just got to build XYZ. Just do it. Just build XYZ. You can't fault the teams for just following orders, I guess, right? But you'll get what you get at the end of it. I mean, contrast that with teams that challenge that and say, why are we building this? I mean, almost like a five-year-old. Do the five whys Mm -hmm. we have to. Why are we building this? Well, because. Okay, why? Right? And just keep doing that so you can understand it. The, The difficulty is, oftentimes, we don't see teams challenging those decisions because they're at the team level and these people are higher. You know, so I think it's the onus is on those of us that are working with the teams, scrum masters, agile coaches, CPOs, whoever, to kind of encourage the team to ask the questions. Yeah. And if that is not well received in the organization, then ask the questions on their behalf. Yeah. But do it in front of the team so they can see that you're leading by example. It's okay to ask questions. If you do that in isolation, you're just another one of those people that are saying, well, no, no, build it this way, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want that. I've never been in an organization where that sort of top-down build this specific thing never happened. But the best results I've seen have come from, I want to move this metric or I want to get this result. And they say to, generally, the product owner, they say, Get me this thing. Mm. I don't really care how you go about doing that thing, but I want to increase this number. I want to decrease that number, or I want to get this result. Here's the result I want. Go figure out how to do that. And the very best product owners take that to the team. And they say, I've been tasked with doing X. I have an idea or two, this or that, or this, I think we can do it this way. What do you guys think? You're in the middle of this system all day long what yeah. better ideas do you guys maybe have hit the nail on the head right there <sighs> like the, I, i'm very wise the the best product owners but so you the, is what you're saying the team doesn't always deal with the best product owners. sometimes the team is the one questioning and the product owner is the one afraid to question i've mm-hmm. been on plenty of teams oh, sure that way where the where the where the team is saying like well the management is saying we need to add a checkbox or something like that mm-hmm. but uh, based on what we know about the user like what well, the user is with us every sprint review for example the users never said they wanted a new checkbox like well, what the user we think is wanting to do is whatever i mean whatever right. they think it is so th- basically you're challenging against what i'm saying management in this example to kind of shortcut us it could be it could be sales it could be support it could be a lot of other departments in the company the scrum model like the the the, the scripture or whatever will say oh we'll go to your product owner slash manager and they'll do some experimentation based whatever <laughs> like the reality is sometimes they don't want to get in front of that yeah you know kind of kind of this other category that we were not going to talk about is like sometimes they, they don't want to be perceived as a person starting fights it, uh, management management is a great example of this one just add a new option in the dropdown. Add a new checkbox. Add a new whatever. Add a new option to select in the mobile app. It's like, oh, is that what the customer wants? Because I don't think that's what they really need. I think what they really need is this new flow in their workflow. That's what you're talking about. Why don't you let me, the product person, experiment with that? Let's do a little A-B testing. Yep. You know, Let, Let's add a new option in we think about social media, for example. Let's add a new option, and then every time someone clicks on that, it gets recorded on a database, they get a pop-up message that says, hey, 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 this is a new function. 
It's not available yet. We're working on it, even though we have no intention of working on it. But that's what it says in the app. Of course. And then we'll just record. Like, how many times do people click the ability to see more information about whatever? And you're willing to put yourself out on a limb to be like, okay, no users clicked my new box. I guess we'll abandon that and not go down that road. Right? But the feedback thing is like, are you being perceived as going against management when you're asking to be like, hey, let me just put this option out there just to see what users do, right? Because I've been in some organizations where that is not like, this, it's not like, hey, listen, your feedback is not desired. That's where I'm going with this. Well, there are too many, I think, product owners, people who when it the, the dictum comes down, hey, put in a new checkbox yeah. or put in a new line item or whatever it is, they don't say why. What is, if they don't understand the why behind, yeah. you know, if the reason is, well, we need more signups on this thing or we, we need less things going over here, whatever it is, they probably have a better idea of how to get to that end outcome than the person who told them to do the thing in the first place. But if they don't have the feeling like they can have that conversation and say, why do you want to do that thing? Yeah. Then they're probably just going to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think in, that, in those kinds of scenarios, you have the, the product people not only saying, sometimes not even saying what they want and why, but simply saying how. Say, mm-hmm. I, I want a checkbox. Just say what you want. Just right. say, I want the, abil- the ability to select one or multiple options. Yep. And let the developers figure out what is the best control to use there. Mm-hmm. Is it the checkbox? Is it a okay. series of radio buttons? You know, whatever it is. Don't dictate to them, right? So take the work to them, but, or so take them to the work rather. Don't take the work to them by right. saying, right. do this, right. do this, do this. Right. Just say, we need this right. because well, that's it, it. Well, depending on how you ask that question, or depending on how the dictate comes down, uh, I could easily see, hey, uh, I want to measure X, Y, Z. I want to, I do this all the time. I'll say, I want to instrument this. I leave it up to the team to come back to me to say, hey, we implemented this and these are the stats we have for you. And this is the funny thing about me is since I was a QA engineer in a past life, I can be like, you guys haven't broken this down to, you can't tell me which individual whatever is failing or which IP address is sending back, med- like you need to break that down to this level because I now am gonna ask. And the way that you've broken it out and done your first pass implementation, it's not deep enough. Right. It's not deep enough to get me what I want, right? Okay, we have, I think about like, Think about people being like, well, Brian, well, you're being pedantic. Like, oh, you're a product manager, but you shouldn't really care about that. I, I don't know. Like, should I really not care about that? Or should I partner with my, my, my technical peer on the other side to be like, I don't know. If I say I my servers that serve my service available through APIs in the busy part of the day, I want to know, is that is that traffic equally distributed between my farm? that manages my APIs or is or is like one server shouldering the burden of all of everything. And then when yeah. it gets overloaded, then my time for my customers goes from like 0.3 milliseconds up to like 
50 milliseconds or something like that. I think he's going to say the same thing I'm going to say, so go ahead. No, no, no. Jump on it. No, I was going to say, well, well, then make those things part of the requirements, right? So put in the response times that you need. Put in the load balancing requirements that you have. Make it part of the requirements and let the team figure out how. For example, in that scenario, well, what load balances do they use? Do they use F5? Doesn't How many? Oh, who right. cares? That doesn't right? matter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter to me, but 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 the when I write up those type of requirements and I hand it off to the team, the first time they're implementing I'm talking the first time they're implementing uh, it, I don't know what the responses are going to be like. So I got to look at what the responses are going to be like before I write more stories on the matter. So like we're talking about building the building the wrong thing yeah. right the idea between like what what building the right thing means for me is we got to put something out there measure it take the feedback and adjust and this is a tough one for me which i i wanted to bring this one up on a podcast for for a while right i wanted to bring this one up up, up on the podcast for a while which is refactoring this is, is a good one on linkedin too like refactoring Refactoring meaning you're going back through code that's already in production that works and you're just making it better, okay? The, the ideal outcome is it usually doesn't see anything. You're just making it easier to maintain, right? Easier to upgrade, easier to read for other people on your team. A product people, I see this topic as especially difficult to, to work with. What is the ROI? Right. ROI, like the business people here, like I, I, I'm like I'm purely asking this as a rhetorical, right? Because like I, the QA engineer, understand the need to be like, hey, quite honestly, six months after I write code as a QA engineer, I have no idea what it does. Right. Six months after, I have no idea at all. But the next people should be able to read it, maintain it, change it, and maintain their changes or whatever. What is the advice to product people? in that example of, of, of we need to, anytime we're in that part of the code, we need to delegate to our people to maintain, upgrade, move along that part of the code. I think it's the intangibility of these things. Did I say that word right? Sure. Uh, anyway, so the product people aren't sure. really understanding that. Most product people, unless they're from a QA environment or a background or some technical background. Why aren't you working on things that matter, mm-hmm. right? But what they don't realize is these things matter because you're actually accumulating that tech debt. And the savvy product owner would say, let's have a dialogue about this. Do you need time? Do you need bandwidth in the sprint to make things more robust? Improve the illities, I call it, scalability and all of those things, right? If a product owner thinks that way and doesn't load the sprint with just what they think is needed, but lets the team do some refactoring. Yeah, this is where I like the idea of the the innovation sprint. Mm-hmm. Does it have to be a sprint? I don't know. We can talk about that. But at part least, of every sprint, you know. I mean. Yeah. So for me, that is the thing. Leave some space in every sprint to go back and fix things up. Well, polish things. Right. The business, to, in my experience, tends to not like. The thing that isn't shiny and new they want they always want the sexy shiny new thing it's incumbent on either the tech person or whoever it is who sees the value in it to be able to express maybe through the scrum master maybe themselves but to be able to express what that value is going to be to be able to say hey that thing that we built last sprint 
that took us five days to do. If we refactor that, it's going to take us a day and a half next time. Right. You know, or in the future, if we don't refactor it, it's going to take us a month to explain what the value is that they're going to get. Because just saying it's cleaner code and it's prettier and more elegant is not helpful yeah. to a product owner because yeah. they're going to say, is it faster? Not really. Is it, oh, it's just more elegant and I like it better. No, it's yeah. not helpful. We did a whole podcast on the benefits of a non, non-technical non background product owner slash manager, right? I, I feel the, the technical focused product owner slash manager, I hate to say give me. Can I just say product manager? Product manager. The product manager who has a deep understanding of technical matters. I don't know. I feel I'm not not helping here. I feel they can more easily lobby for what we're talking about here. I'm kind of talking about this, but I'm also (laughs) convincing myself. As I'm talking about it, I'm convincing myself of the other other (laughs) side. If you have a product manager who doesn't know anything about tech, like they just can't, they, they zone out when you start talking about like, oh, we got to refactor this method and this function doesn't work for whatever, or we got to make this more object oriented, or we got to sub out whatever technology for whatever. And they're like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't really want to be involved in this conversation. I feel the reasons for making things more maintainable, because the idea of more maintainable is in the future, they will be much faster change and add things to and refactor when i need to change them so i i'll be more open to saying like yes the end result when we take on the story a refactor story basically the end result will be the user sees no difference but i know that in the future i can sell this up to the business because i understand in the future when i ask for a change it'll take a half a day as opposed to now we got to inherit three, four, six days, whatever, you know what I mean, uh, days of changing things. Yeah, that's one of the uh, illities, right? Maintainability yeah. is one of the illities. So I agree with that. I think part of it is also incumbent upon the team or the, the, the Scrum Master, etc., to position it in a way that makes sense. So, so we have to make it better. Well, why didn't you build it right the first time? Yeah. Right? So... Just say in I the future. I've literally gonna, heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So is in yeah. the future we're going to save X number of hours, days, whatever it is, and project. But you know, we're not looking for accuracy, but project and say so that translates to a savings of X dollars. Yeah. Now you now you're speaking their language. They yeah. understand that. We talked a little bit uh, offline around product owners or people who are okay being wrong. Mm-hmm and not knowing or not understanding it. having that Uh-oh. a couple of them are <laughs> having but Yikes. having having that kind of sense that i don't know everything is to me a such a huge win in specifically a product owner because yeah. i've just yeah. seen so many of them the best product owners i've ever had have been able to say you know like those old-timey pirate maps where you say i am here I want to be here, here there be dragons. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's in the middle. I don't know how you're going to get me there. I don't care what technologies you use to yeah. get me to here, but I know where I want to be at the end. Now, I have seen very technical POs, that, and they are very able, like you said, to be able to advocate for certain things and be able to understand why yeah. you need to do certain yeah, things. Yeah. The challenge that I've had with some of them, and this might be just a very singular thing, but is that they can get very 
tied to a solution. I was say in the weeds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I expected that's where we were going. Where my brain was going was not there. I anchored to that because I am that. That's mm-hmm. that's the difficulty for me. The more difficult perspective for me to envision is the PO who just doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I for real doesn't yeah, know. Yeah, for real. Like, yeah, yeah. If you're talking about building an API, like I, I've built APIs and tested APIs, so I can tell you all about what I want out of an API solution. But I can't even envision a world from someone asking for an API when they don't know anything about how an, how an API works, what it means, when you solution an API, when you don't. Like I, I couldn't even put myself in those shoes because I'm so far removed from that. So I have to think, again, if the Scrum, and like we, this goes back, I don't know where we're gonna draw the line on where I, when I say this, but if the Scrum Master is somehow in between the world of this PO who knows a business domain and knows nothing about technology, and the team who is completely uninformed about the business, in reality, as the team learns and works, they will learn about the business. So like a new team, for example, sure. a new team. So somewhere between the product person who knows nothing about development but knows all about the domain and the development team who knows all about technology implementation but nothing about the domain, somewhere in between them is the Scrum Master's facilitation skills. Notice I didn't say the Scrum Master's right technical yeah. knowledge or domain knowledge or nothing. Right. About. The Scrum Master's facilitation skills to figure out how to get everyone talking in a manner that kind of moves it forward. I'm, I'm trying to unpack and take a side here. I, I, was, trying, I, was, trying, I was trying what, to set one up. What you had talked about earlier, um, the five whys or seven whys or however many whys you want to use, is kind of what I think part of what we're talking about. Because you had said, well, if I need an API for a thing, well, my first question, if you say that, is like, why do you need an API? Right. Nobody no end user needs an API. They need information or they need to be able to contact that server or they need to do, well, they don't ever need to contact that server. They need a product or they need something. So the idea that you need an API, you've jumped eight steps past the actual need that the customer has. So that would be where I'd start is, why do you need an API? Because I'm gonna say 99, plus percent of the time you're right but maybe the team goes oh you know what we actually don't need that yeah we need we we have a better way of doing that Mm -hmm. so that's where i'd start yeah and that danger is real when you have a po who is technical or has a technical background right they they almost bring the why Mm -hmm. uh and the what Mm -hmm. with also the how a little bit right i need an api that does this They've already decided they need an API. They, right. they, they may be right, but oh. leave the, the, the opportunity for the team to ideate yeah. on the issue, right? Yeah. And figure out what is the best way to do this. And the challenge in having that facilitation, that, that back and forth is, I know in my heart of hearts, you're probably right. <laughs> like you're, You probably do need an API. You're gonna be right more often than not. But the idea to get the team in the middle of that, maybe it's not exactly what you envisioned. Maybe yeah. it's slightly different. Maybe it's a different a different build of it in some way that you didn't think of. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that you built it out a certain way in your head might not be the best plan for it. Yeah. And put, just putting the 
the process in front of them probably is going to get you better results. Mm-hmm. Years and years ago, there was a, a guy by the name of Roger Vanoy. He wrote a book, a small book. It was called a Whack on the Side of the Head. And it's all about you know, instilling creativity and figuring out together, holistically, the solution. And when you were speaking, my mind went to this anecdote I heard about. I don't even know if it's real or not, but it kind of makes sense. When Einstein was working on stuff like theory of relativity, whatever he was working on, he would be locked up in his room for hours and hours and hours doing equations and stuff. So he had a cleaner who would come by and, and clean stuff and look after the place. And he basically said, I'm getting too much too much interrupt here. So he let her go away for a few days. When she came back, she found two holes in the door that he had made. Einstein had two cats, a little one and a big one, and he made two doors, right? And so she just innocently pointed out, well, just a big hole would have been fine. And the guy's working on relativity. So I just, I just thought of that anyway. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's best to let people just like ask them, ask them. Why I, do we need I, two holes? Why? Well, I just need my cat out. How do you suggest I, I do got that? Two, Maybe just I got leave the door cats. ajar, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Any door, well, any but that's, that's exactly it. You know, if you give it to a product person, they might immediately say, well, guess what? We need two holes. We have two cats. Sure. They might. When in reality, anyway, we're picking on product people, but the majority of the time it's going to be your leadership being like, uh, oh, we need two holes in the doors. Then the product person is going to turn around and be like, yes, sir, we do. Yes, sir, we do. Well, that's exactly. why you're right. That's why I said the best product owners I've dealt with have done X, Y, and Z. You know, I've been lucky enough to work with some great POs. They're not all that way. Some of them are exactly what you said, where they just you pivot and you say, yes, sir. And, yeah. you know, Listen, it is what it is. Sometimes that, that feedback is not appreciated. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It's not at all. Like, do you really need two holes? Like, ooh, ooh I don't think you fit the culture. Do you, that's like, right. Why are you, yeah. why are you questioning my hole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you not hear that we had two cats? Yeah, you didn't. You, I think you. You're, you're not, being antagonistic. Yeah, you're not a, you're yeah, not yeah, a company yeah. man. Two cats. <laughs> two cats, home. This is this is the whole start with why thing, right? Like, if you if you are starting from a position where you get to say whatever change management system you use, right? Our initiatives start with a reason, right? If the reason is I need, like, cats need to go through a door, right? Animals need to pass through a door, and you're starting with why, you probably can try different things. Try different things, try different doors, try different whatever, right? And your product people are probably not incentivized from like where we go on all all the negative incentives we go on the podcast of like, yeah. like you know oh you let down XYZ executive because they told you to implement two holes in the door but you actually just implemented one large hole so XYZ executive is not happy with you anymore even though the stats of the business and the stats of what the customers want were completely fulfilled so there's like some political factor in it. if you're in a culture of being allowed to build the right thing, wrong thing, whatever. Even if you're building the wrong thing and your metrics lead you to say, hey, X number of times you build the wrong thing, it leads into building the right thing. So can we aggregate those stats over all the teams to say, our ratio of building the right thing to the wrong thing is like 1.3 or whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm making up numbers, right? Sure, sure. Like, are, do we care about that? Are, are we looking at it like that? Or are we making some kind of fallacy that's like, well, own builds the wrong thing three times out of whatever, and we're breaking it down to the individual factor. Yeah. 
right? Like, what are we being measured on? I'd be remiss to talk about this whole category if I did not also bring up sometimes a culture is not balanced to allow you to fail, mm-hmm. adjust, and show show your show your work, show your homework, right? To be like, oh, well, here's the evidence I have to show our direction towards the right thing. Because I've been in organizations where every time you build the right thing, it doesn't count on the wall. They don't make a check mark. But every time you build the wrong thing, they make a check mark. And then after whatever five check marks or whatever, they recycle leadership in the program. Leadership, product, Scrum Master, whatever. They recycle yeah. the leadership and the product, and then they get new people in, and then they start to Rinse and repeat. Again. Right, yeah. And then it's just by happenstance or coincidence that some people will come in and happen to build the right thing. Again, going back to what we just said is like, how do you measure what the right thing is? So it's just by happenstance, they'll bring people in and they'll build the right thing for enough time. So some people will be with the program for three months, get washed out. Some people will be with the program for six months, get washed out. Some people will be there for a year, 18 months before they get washed out. And it doesn't seem at a leadership level, not that I'm talking, not that anybody at a leadership level is listening to this podcast, but like at a leadership level, it'll seem that it's like, oh, we just can't get the right leadership on this program. And we just keep recycling people. But if we wash out enough people, we'll find the person that has the right fit. I've been in a bunch of organizations. Well, absolutely. Like Majority of them are like that, I would say. I'd hazard a guess, right? So this is that blame culture. It, on the flip side, the few that quote unquote get it right, these people you'll find there's a there's like a, a common thread there. The product people aren't coming in saying we should build this or not listening to leadership saying we should build this. What they're doing is they're putting the customer in the center and they're saying, well, what are your pain points? And they're not going away and building something. They're going away and creating a wireframe and bringing back to the customer and go, are we going on the right track here? Exactly. And then inspect and adapt to use that phrase. But those people that keep the customer in the center have a much higher likelihood of success than right. those that just simply say, we know what they want. Well, that's, I mean, the idea of they had so many failures and they get these tick marks. How cheap were those failures? Yeah. Because that's, I think, the big point. Because to your point, maybe you bring them a, a paper wireframe and you say, well, if you clicked this button, what would you expect to find on the next page? Well, if they say the opposite of what you expected, that's a failure but it was super cheap and super fast. Yeah. So that to me is, that's a huge win. Yeah. It's a failure in the sense that you didn't get the results you expected, yeah. but it's a win because you didn't spend a lot of money, yeah. you got information and you can move forward yeah. with the information you got. It's yeah. a learning opportunity right. outside rather than a failure yeah. at that point, right? Because right. you know, the further up the chain you look at that right. and go, here's what we did and it was a failure, that's frowned upon the F word. So sure. it's a learning opportunity. Here's what we learned and here's what we're doing differently. Mm-hmm. And then rinse and repeat that. Yeah, I, I would guess most programs like that, they're not measured like that. They're not no. measured, like no. they, they don't measure that kind of incremental kind of stuff. Oh, first of all, they don't, they don't instrument their program like that. Because if, if let's say you have a, let's say you have a large, let's, 
like the, the largest program that I was part of was like a seven, eight team, something like that, right? Which is a massive program. <laughs> Some people listen to this and be like, well, I have 300 people. <laughs> like, no, you don't. That's right. You don't. You think every, you do. Every time I'm like, no, you don't. Like, you, that is broken down. You don't. You, trust me, you don't. <laughs> like uh, seven, eight teams. It was the largest program I had. And their, their, their instrumentation was never at that level. I always struggled to get their instrumentation of like, hey, talk to the customer, find out what they want, find out what you can do in two, three days to prove or disprove your hypothesis and then get them on the phone. The, the difficult part for me was I was in this like pseudo, I was trying to help segment their teams at the right level and make sure they had cross-functional team. I was doing a lot of agile coaching stuff, but also at the same time, I was trying to shoulder the burden of good product practices at the same time. And it was super distracting because I'm like, because I'm like, oh, like, forget all the stuff that like, hey, you're a scrum master, like forget all the good practices and stuff about like being a scrum master, like forget all that. Forget everything you're learning in your two day class or whatever. Like, forget everything you know about frameworks. Forget all that. Stop two and a half days. Oh, yeah, it was very intense. Listen, we're not getting yelled at by CSTs on the internet anymore. We we decided not to do that anymore. No. And uh, yeah, forget all that, and like just focus on: can you do something in two or three days? And at the end of that two or three days, get the customer on the phone. And after that two or three days, can you show them something? and get them to tell you if they like it or not and if they don't like it like what else to do i was like if you can break your program down to that level for every single team like every single team getting that feedback right i was like you'll be way ahead mm -hmm. product people scrum master team people whatever you'd be way ahead of everything you know 100 yeah if you can think about that feedback cycle of two or three days before i have a touch point with a customer per team per, per product person and if you can build your program that way uh, you'll be instrumenting your software correctly you know if you can do that without having to talk to anyone you can see it through behavior you're even doing even better right there's a measure called, and it's not scientific by any means right it's it's fit for purpose fit for need sure. you know either of those you'd certainly be meeting those measures right yeah so in some people will be very pedantic what do you mean correctly it's only been four sprints well okay but you're meeting their need. It's fit for purpose. How do you know that? The customer's telling you that. So those teams that say, well, well, we'll get the customer in maybe at the end of a sprint, at the sprint review. Don't be wedded to that. You don't have to wait till the end of the sprint. As soon as you have something that's reasonable, that can stand upright, get them on the phone to your point. Or show it to them, yeah, right, yeah. right? Get them in the room if you can. And that's ideal. I mean, realistically, at least in my experience, getting them in, every sprint every couple of weeks that's okay like because most places aren't bringing the users in even that often you're right i would love to be in a situation and i have where you're constantly touching the the customer every couple of days every few days but if it's every two weeks and that's all you can do great yeah, just do, do that start there yeah. just yeah. do it and get that feedback because worst case scenario, you built something that they're not going to use or that maybe is off base a little bit and you spent two weeks on it. Yeah, right, yeah. The, sure. the, the worst case, if you take longer, is now you've spent four weeks or now you've spent six or yeah. eight or 12 weeks working on a thing they're not going to use. So, 
Yeah, it's what's practical. Yeah, right. a lot of teams don't even have access to their customers. They don't know who they are. Yeah. They're just being told this is what the customer needs. Right. Believe it. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sad but true. This wasn't even part of our discussion to have, but like I hear like a lot of times when I go to community events and stuff like that, people will ask. People will ask, but also people will assume that you're on two week sprints, and then they'll kind of like they don't really look down, but they they kind of they're kind of shocked at people that are on one week sprints. And I kind of like, as a product person, I kind of think of like, I would like to go to one week sprints because it, like, if you think about one week sprints, like if you're using the, they eliminated this from a scrum guide, so it's not in there anymore. But if you're using the, like, you know, two, two hours, uh, whatever per week for planning or whatever, where if you have a, if you have a two week sprint, you're in a room for like half a day to do your sprint planning and stuff like that. If you think about it, you're like, oh, if, if I'm doing one week sprints, Basically, Monday morning, when everyone gets in the office, air quotes, right? We're going to spend the first half a day Monday talking about the plan for the whole week to be like, hey, we want to implement this. And like, here are the things I want to get done, the product owner. Here are the things that I'm trying to target, trying to target getting done this week. And then the team saying, okay, well, in order to do that, we got to do X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever. We talk about scope. We talk about what can be done, what can't be done in a week break it down we come up with a plan for the week and it seems to a lot of people that push back on me for a week say oh that's that's a that's grind it's a re, it's a grindy week to week yeah that, uh, yeah that's it, what they're it, saying it, yeah. even scrum masters push back and they go what do you mean i have to do a retro every spring? yes you do but it's lightweight compared to the right. two-week one I've, I've experienced one week sprints. I tell you, if you have access this is the fundamental premise if you have access to the customer to get the feedback you can't beat one week sprints because you're delivering small slivers of functionality and you're getting feedback as to whether you're on the right track or not. Yeah. That is fantastic. But oftentimes for practical reasons, that's not possible. The customer's not available. They don't have the time. Yeah. You know, especially the right people that can say, Yes, I accept this or no. You don't have access yeah. to them. So yeah, yeah, it can be two weeks. But do it consistently. Make sure they're in there. Don't have a sprint and go through the mechanical motions of doing a demo and then walk away from yeah. there. You got to get that feedback and you got to get that explicit acceptance. My challenge to people who say that one week's like, and I've talked to a bunch of people that say one week is not, it's not a sustainable cadence. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the sustainability yeah. of the, of, of scrum, right? Yeah. Well, one week's not a sustainable cadence. I'm like, well, if your customer that you're working on the feature in your, in your one week if they tell you they can't be available Friday morning for the demo, why wouldn't you, the product person, why wouldn't you say like, okay, cool, well, if you can't be available for the demo Friday morning, then we're gonna push your feature out. Yeah. Oh, two weeks, three weeks. Mm -hmm. when, when you tell me the Friday you can be available, and then we'll push even starting working on your feature out. And like, like the business people I've been partnered with in the past, that usually gets, that gets butts in seats mm -hmm. of like oh no 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 I, i'll i'll push my meetings on friday i'll be right. available for or thursday night whatever friday morning whatever i'll be available just please start working on my thing like that sells tickets right there but i also think like even in a two-week sprint even in, in a two-week sprint what what i am used to is for, first of all the the problem with two-week sprints is it's like the default out of the box mm-hmm Right, time period. So most of the teams I've ever worked on to experience, you have like, well, developer A and B, they're gonna work on feature one, and developer C and D, they're gonna work on feature two, 
and a developer uh, D or whatever, like this terrible name for a developer, <laughs> the, the other developer who's left out, they're going to kind of like, they're going to research some stuff and they're not really working on a feature, but they're, maybe they're refactoring or doing some other stuff. Like they're not really working on stuff that's in, in the sprint. It's not like we're focused. The whole team is peer programming on or mob programming on one customer's thing at a time until it's done. They're working on multiple streams of work. Yes, I like, I like, yeah, indeed. Of work. That's indeed. every team I've ever been with yep. is like that. And it introduces waterfall within the sprint because right, the, yeah. the, right. the developer who is working on something or planning to work on something is going to say, I've created my task, but I can't work on it till this other developer finishes right. with their task. So I'm blocked. Right? It's like, how about you lend a hand, roll up your sleeves, work with that person, yeah, right. or yeah. go work on something else. You're still getting stuff done. So this idea, I think, originates from the assignment culture, right? The sprint starts and somebody, usually the tech lead or somebody, is gonna say, hey, developer A, this is assigned to you. That's the problem, stop that. Yeah. Don't assign stuff. Let them just say, as a team, here's the sprint goal we have to meet. What do we have to do? Well, it may even say, get to the point where they say, well, we don't have to toss things out. We mm -hmm. just want to get on with it. We know what we have to do. We have clarity. Let's just go. Yeah. So don't check the boxes. Or did they task out? They have to task out. Don't do any of that stuff. Of course, if they don't task out, you cannot see their burn down. Yeah. But that's the wrong metric to measure them by anyway. And, you know, we have another podcast coming, yeah, I yeah. think, for yeah. like metrics and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I've seen the same thing myself, exactly for that reason. I want to share your perspective. Like, what do you think? Have you seen that too or no? 100%. And in a two week sprint, generally, like you said, it's a mini waterfall sometimes where you'd have a developer who says, oh, I'm going to work on my thing for a week, maybe six days. And then that gives the QA three or four days and then the BA can look at it and then the PO can look at it. So you're not all working on it at once. No, no, no. I got to do my thing first and then they do their thing next and then I, they do their thing next. As opposed to if you only have a week and the, the pushback that I always hear against shortening a sprint, have a one-week sprint, is there's no way we could get anything done in a week. Right, yeah. we, there's no universe where anything can be small enough to be done in a week. Well, let's say we had to. What does that mean? Well, it means QA would have to start working with the developer right at the beginning. Well, yeah, that's what we want. Exactly. Like that's, right. it, we'd, we'd have to be working on it at the same time. Yeah, like you're making my point for me here. Yeah. But the, I think you hit the nail on the head. Since two weeks is the norm, and look, I, I'm not going to lie, it's not a terrible <laughs> cadence. I mean, two weeks is a pretty good. Yeah, listen, you know, it's, it's better it's, than six it's, weeks. It's, yeah, it's, sure. It, two weeks is pretty good. Six but, weeks is not a sprint, by the way. That's a marathon. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's not a terrible thing, but yeah. since so many people do it, so many people are comfortable with it, you get into this habit of, Oh, I have four or five, six days to get my work done. Then they have this right. time to get their right. work done. And right. then they have their time to yeah. get that work done. So if I have a thing that can take two weeks, that's fine. I won't break it down any smaller than that. And that's a, that's mm -hmm. a fine thing to do. Yeah. We, like, we don't talk about that enough, probably because we don't dig deep enough in the work, usually on the pile. Like, we, yeah. <laughs> like the, the idea of like, well, I'm going to go off and put my headphones on and work on something for four days without anyone looking over my shoulder and then I'm going to come out and hold it up like the Lion King and show everyone after X amount of days. And then after that, I move into the next phase of the QA person gets to look at it. And when they come out, they get to hold it up like the Lion King and certify it. Like, no, that's like, we're not, we're not collaborating at that point. We're mini waterfall. 
at that point. Exactly. We're not a team of five people, whatever it is, seven people. We're seven teams of one person each. Yeah. Right? Right, yeah. And you're gaining the efficiencies of having that waterfall only be two weeks, which is better than having it be six months, but yeah. it's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a slither, crawl, walk, run. Yeah, so yeah. get the waterfall down to two weeks and then work with the team to say, right. okay, guys, right. now right. now we can get better. Now we can actually do this stuff all at the same time yeah. and we can swarm on things, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so and the, you, you can use certain. Sorry, I mean, no, no, no. It, I just say you can use certain smells for that, right? It's, if you're often seeing things that are dev complete but not QA complete at the end of the sprint, what is going on there? You mm -hmm. know, so those kinds of things you can introspect on and you know, try and change things up a bit. I don't think that was the original point, anyway. So we've gone down like <laughs> we, three rabbit holes. We went a bit afield. I think it fits very well into the same category because, again, if you're if you don't get to inspect what you're doing until all your little phase gates <laughs> phase gates are complete, you're faking yourself into thinking you're making progress. That's right. You know what this I mean? Is, we've talked about this before yeah. on the podcast. This phenomenon is what I call the illusion of progress. You're not making progress, right? right? You think you are. And unfortunately, the blind leadership will say, great, you're doing great, right? Because you're feeding them what they're measuring you on. Right. But you're really not moving the needle. Right. Absolutely not. Well, that's 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 this this last category that we started with was instrumentation. Mm -hmm. So, look, what to measure, right? If, so, if you're measuring like, oh my my dev drop, I think of like cycle time lead time, right? If yeah. you're if you're gaming cycle time lead time even further to be like, oh, from the time that my developers started on it to the time they dropped it to QA, and my developers are only measured on that time, but then my QA are only measured on how long they take to take the test on it or the number of defects that they detect inside versus outside. Like you're playing a lot of games. You're playing a lot of games at that point. Well, so, yeah, exactly. So is a given player on your football team only judged by the number of yards in the game? I don't mean individually because everybody's measuring that because you can. Everybody measures stats out, out of the yin yang. But your team as a whole doesn't win or lose based yeah. on that one person's yeah. yardage. Yeah, yeah. And no, your, or, your no, star player may no. not get any yardage. Even that. better, even better. How, how many times they're passed the ball? Yeah, that's like how many times your your player is passed the ball? Like, well, your defensive linemen are, are the most terrible people on your sure. team at that point, right? Like, Absolutely, they don't get. That's not part of the process for them to get the ball. So, like, why are you measuring that? That's terrible. That's Correct. a terrible metric. Absolutely. But again, what you incentivize has a huge impact. What you get or you become what you measure. Correct. You know that's because of that thing you incentivize that behavior, yeah. right? If you say you're going to get a $1,000 bonus in six months if you increase your velocity by 25%, Ooh. that team will absolutely do that. Ooh, because right. a one becomes a two, a two becomes a three, Ooh. a three becomes a five, and a five becomes an eight. And guess what? I've now increased my velocity. You don't have anything better, but that velocity has increased. Make your checks payable to arguing agile. That's right. I've well, seen that behavior. It, absolutely. Describe it. Well, you spin that around a little bit and you say, all right, well, how about we're going to measure number of stories outputted? Mm -hmm. That's still not great because it's not value. Right. But I would argue it's way better because if you say I got more stories out the door, those are by definition smaller. Yeah. 
So generally those are going to be better. It's not great, but it's better. Yeah. So the thing that you're measuring matters. If all you're measuring is velocity or, or yeah. you know, number of stores or whatever, it's going to have an impact on that team. And it could be slightly good, could be very terribly bad, but it's going to have an impact on mm -hmm. them. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So measuring the wrong thing precipitates that behavior, right? So the team's going to not only estimate everything at the next level up, five becomes an A, et cetera, as you said. They may even take something and go, that's too big, let's break it up. Now it's, it's a five and a five. They'll find ways because that's they figure out very quickly right. that that's how they reward it or measured at least forget rewarding that's how they measure mm -hmm. you right so I agree with that I th I think people that are doing this don't know how to measure and uh, this has been a a constant theme on the podcast too those people in quote unquote management I'll, I'll not use the word leadership because <laughs> leaders don't do that mm -hmm. uh, management those people grew up a certain way, mm -hmm. not in an agile way. They grew up in, in that crack the whip waterfall way. So that's all they know. That's what they know. So you can't really sit back and go, ah, those people, they don't know. Well, they don't, right? And so it, it's on us to educate them in the best way possible as long as they're open to that. I think we've solved the world's We're, problems yeah, now. we solved all the problems. Everything's yeah. solved. Cool. So this, this was a podcast that went kind of different places, but let us know what you think and uh, comment below and don't forget to smash that like button Ooh, and we want to say smash. a special thank you to ted for coming up on the podcast as a guest today hopefully thank you he'll, he'll show up again hopefully we don't scare him off i appreciate it yeah thanks ted